Hello, I'm Rhonda Nowak for the Mail Tribune and Rosebud Media. This is The Literary Gardener for January 10th, 2020. The topic this week is Grow a 21st Century Victory Garden and Feed the Soil with Carbon. Gardens are frames or settings for activity and behavior. They mirror a culture's values and attitudes. They are places of ideals, aspirations, and life necessities. The garden subject ranges from humanity's most mundane need to history's most profound questions. Kenneth I. Helfand, Defiant Gardens, Making Gardens in Wartime, 2008. In his book, Defiant Gardens, historian Ken Helfand describes a meeting in 1918 between Winston Churchill, who was England's Minister of Munitions during World War I, and British war poet Siegfried Sassoon. It was during this interview that Churchill remarked, war is the normal occupation of man. Churchill quickly added war and gardening. In the United States, the government called for citizens to grow vegetable gardens during World War I to help feed those at home and support the troops fighting overseas, since commercial crops were sent to the military. Propaganda posters during World War I urged civilians to sow the seeds of victory. By 1918, more than 5 million new plots called Victory Gardens were cultivated, which produced about 1.5 million quarts of canned fruits and vegetables. During World War II, civilian Victory Gardens in the U.S. helped stave off hunger caused by food rations. By 1944, approximately 20 million gardens produced about 8 million tons of food, or almost 40% of the fresh vegetables that were eaten by civilians. Flash forward 75 years to October 2019, when the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released a special report on global warming of 1.5 degrees Celsius. The report highlights a number of climate change impacts that could be avoided by limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius compared to 2 degrees Celsius or more. IPCC committee co-chair Hans Otto Portner said, Every extra bit of warming matters, especially since warming of 1.5 degrees Celsius or higher increases the risks associated with long-lasting or irreversible changes, such as the loss of some ecosystems. However, the report finds that limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius will require rapid and far-reaching changes in land and energy use, as well as in industry, buildings, transport, and cities worldwide. To accomplish this formidable goal and help prevent what's been called a climate catastrophe, the IPCC report recommends that global net human-caused emissions of carbon dioxide decrease 45% from 2010 levels by 2030, reaching zero emissions by 2050. Any remaining emissions would need to be offset by removing CO2 from the air. In the 21st century, rather than battling other nations, we need to learn to fight as a multinational community in order to ensure long-term food security for a rapidly growing population, all while under increasingly adverse agricultural conditions from the impacts of global warming. Will we be able to literally step up to the plate and confront this modern threat, climate change, even when it doesn't look like the others of wars past?
For that matter, will we be able to look up from our tweets long enough to agree that global warming is a primary threat and places the well-being of our children and our children's children at risk? Gardeners, let's do something positive about climate change in 2020 by growing a victory garden. The 21st century version doesn't involve growing vegetables to eat, but is all about feeding the soil with carbon. Climate-focused victory gardens use the regenerative practice of carbon sequestration to reduce the amount of CO2 lost to the atmosphere as a harmful greenhouse gas. Instead, the garden provides long-term storage for carbon. This is a definitive measure that allows each of us to make a difference in mitigating climate change by doing what we love to do, growing plants. I recently spoke with Scott Good, a Central Point environmental scientist who is helping the master gardeners at the Southern Oregon Research and Extension Center in Central Point and students at Ashland High School to create victory gardens. Scott speaks frequently in the community about climate change, regenerative gardening, and building healthy soil. He says growing particular plants and using them in a process called trench composting shows promise for sequestering carbon at a rate of several hundred tons per acre. Scott told me what that means is that even if you have a garden that's only a few hundred square feet, you can sequester a significant amount of carbon. If every tenth person all over the world was doing this, then we could make a significant dent in climate change just as individuals. Specifically, gardeners who cultivate a 10-foot by 20-foot victory garden could store a ton of carbon in the soil over 10 years. That's a lot of carbon. Here's how Scott recommends creating a climate-smart victory garden. I think you'll be as surprised as I was about how beautifully simple it is for each of us to give something back to Mother Earth, her carbon. First, dedicate one of your raised garden beds as a victory garden, keeping in mind that trench composting requires the soil to have good drainage. Or create a new bed for a victory garden that's about 10 feet wide and 10 feet long or longer. Then designate a width of four feet in the garden to grow a crop of sunflowers with large seed heads, such as Mongolian giant. Allow space for a walkway and then at least 18 inches or wider for a trench that's dug two feet deep. Use soil from the trench for growing crops and amend with compost as needed. Then plant sunflower seeds in May when the soil has warmed up sowing the seeds no more than one inch deep and about six inches apart. By early August, the last of the milk flowers, the sunflowers, disc flowerets, will be pollinated by bees, and the immature seeds will be in what's called the milk phase. The plant stalks will be two to three inches in diameter. During this phase, remove the sunflower plant from the soil, cut off the seed head, Remove all of the leaves and cut the stalks into sections that will fit into the bottom of the trench. Layer the sunflower leaves over the stalks and then the seed heads over the stalks. Cover the biomass with one to two inches of wood chips and for new gardens, inoculate with oyster mushrooms. Scott said gardeners who are reluctant to give up one of their veggie beds can take heart in knowing oyster mushrooms are delicious. Over a six-month to one-year period, the biomass in the trench is composted and turns into humus. 
After all of the air in the pile is used up, a secondary biological process makes use of the remaining lignin in the sunflower stalks to eventually turn the biomass into peat and finally into a low-grade coal called lignite, which is rich in carbon. By this time, the biomass has been reduced to about one-tenth of its original volume. Right after the sunflowers are placed in the trench, amend the crop section with compost and densely plant a cover crop of buckwheat. Just as the plants begin to flower in about six weeks, remove the buckwheat plants and add them straight to the trench compost, making sure not to disturb the previous compost layers. Cover the buckwheat with wood chips and allow the process of carbon sequestration to continue. After harvesting the buckwheat in October, plant a winter cover crop of fava beans, which produces a lot of biomass. Add the fava beans to the trench in the spring, just as the plants begin to flower, and cover them with wood chips. Soil carbon continues to accumulate as a fresh crop of sunflowers are sown in the fresh garden in the Victory Garden for the following season. Defiant Gardener author Ken Helfand was right. Gardens do indeed mirror a culture's values and attitudes. They are places of ideals, aspirations, and life necessities. In 2020, let's make sure our gardens mirror our commitment to help mitigate climate change and to ensure a world where healthy food can be grown for the generations that will come after us. If you'd like to hear more about the science behind Victory Gardens and carbon sequestration, continue listening to a fascinating discussion with environmental scientist Scott Goode. For now, that's it for The Literary Gardener. Thanks so much for listening, and happy gardening. own words what what a victory garden is um, to you? Well, it's it's a garden that's grown specifically to uh, put carbon into the soil. Okay. So that, that's its primary uh, purpose. Okay. Uh, and why are these so important now? Well, because I think science has really demonstrated that the only way that you could ever effectively affect the uh, atmospheric uh, greenhouse gases, particularly the carbon part of that, uh, is by moving carbon into the soil. That's the way that the uh, Earth has balanced its carbon dioxide level in the atmosphere for uh, uh, millions and millions of years, and it's, and it's very effective. And there really is, I, I've read the literature, there is really no other method uh, out there that uh, is as effective and as inexpensive as, you know, uh, just natural carbon sequestration by, with plant material. It's all about putting carbon into the soil. I just love the, um, the simple elegance of all of that. Sure, yeah, and, you know, it's biomimicry, as we've come to realize biomimicry, you know, holds uh, most of the, the most amazing, you know, methods for accomplishing things. You follow the way nature does it, and it's just hard to beat. Right. So, okay, so um, they're, they're super important right now, 
And, of course, you know, my, gar- my column focuses on the home gardener. So sure. probably a lot of them out there are thinking, well, gosh, you know, I just have a little tiny garden. What, what difference can I make? What would you say to that? Well, um, the, I mean, the, the evidence is still early. We're still proving it out. But the method that we're using with these, this trench composting uh, appears to be able to uh, sequester carbon at several hundred tons per acre, a rate of several hundred tons per acre. And so what that means is that if you have even a, a, a few hundred square feet, that you could actually may, uh, uh, sequester a significant amount of carbon even in an area that small. And if you replicated that, if, if every, uh, you know, tenth person in all over the world was doing this, then we could, uh, we could make a significant dent just, just, you know, as individuals. Uh, it was, uh, in a recent paper I've, I've looked at, it suggested that, uh, if you were sequestering carbon at the rate of, uh, uh, 30, tons per acre, that if you used uh, uh, around 15% of the arable land on the planet, uh, you could sequester more more carbon out of the atmosphere than is put in by all human activity every year. Wow. And that's that's at 30 tons per acre. If you're able to sequester at uh, a couple of hundred tons per acre, then it would take, you know, far less land than that. And it puts it within the graph of, you know, if you took all of the organic gardeners in the world and they had, you know, a, a thousand square foot uh, bed that they were just devoting to growing the right kind of plants and getting them into the soil in the right way, that they could make a significant impact. Mm-hmm. That's right. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's very exciting, you know, for people. I mean, not only can they grow their own fruits and vegetables, but they can actually help um, mitigate um, uh, climate change. That's absolutely true. I I firmly believe that's true. Well, so let's get down to basics here. Um, uh, How can people uh, create a victory garden? Well, the first thing is you have to choose the right plants to grow in the, in, uh, the garden. Okay. And right now, the, the two leading contenders for, and th- these are plants that contain a large amount of, uh, uh, plants have cellulose, which makes up, you know, the, the volume of the plant. Uh-huh. And then they, they have a material called lignin in them right. that gives the plant strength. Uh-huh. And so what you're looking for, and lignin is, is one of the most resilient, uh, forms of carbon in a plant. Right. Cellulose decomposes yeah, very let me, quickly. I have to interject something really quick. Sure. And it's uh, yeah, so you're looking for plants that are very high in lignin uh-huh. and that, that have lots and lots of resins. So you're looking for plants that are very sticky. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and, and then plants that have a lot of laxes, which uh, they would be uh, trees primarily. But okay. so, you know, we're looking for annuals that, that you can get into the ground, you know, in the short term. 
And so right now, our two leading contenders for that are artichokes and sunflowers. Okay. And so what what we do is we grow the sunflowers out until uh, the the flowers have you know fully come out, and you watch the flower, uh, and there will be little bitty you know mini flowers flowerettes in in it, and the bees will come and pollinate those and leave behind maturing uh, 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 sunflower seeds. Okay. And so uh, just as uh, the last pollination has occurred, but well before the seeds themselves are beginning to mature, mm-hmm. now that stage uh, for a grain is, is called the milk stage. And if you break the, break the seed open, it was got discovered that instead of being a nice hard little seed, that it's it's just soft, mushy, and it and it has a white liquid in it that that they refer to as milk stage. Okay. Okay. So what you're doing is you're growing sunflowers out until they have just had the last pollination, while they're still in milk, still in, immature, and then you cut down the entire plant, and uh, then uh, the way we do it is we cut up the stalks into um, uh, a length. Well, we dig a trench, uh, usually about two feet deep, and it needs to be in a place that is well-drained. So uh, a raised bed works beautifully for this. Okay, so you build a raised bed and plant it full of sunflowers, grow out the sunflowers, and then down the middle of the raised bed, so you... Say you have a raised bed that's, uh, say, oh, 10 feet wa- uh, wide and however long you want to make it. And so then you have um, uh, a four-foot-wide bed where you're actually growing stuff and then a little walkway right down the center of it, in the middle of, the, uh, in the middle of it. And then uh, you're growing out your sunflowers, uh, and you wel- let them mature to the, to the stage I described, and you cut them all down. And then you uh, dig out a trench, uh, say 18 or 20 inches wide, right down through the middle of the of the uh, bed. And since it's a raised bed, you'd be digging out, you know, fairly loose material that you had, you know, put into the uh, into the raised bed. You so can you're also talking do the- now about the bed that you're going to grow vegetables in, correct? Well, in this in this case, we're just talking about a bed that you're growing. This is your your um, uh, climate, uh, your climate victory garden. Okay. You don't, you don't necessarily have to grow vegetables in it, and you can, but you don't necessarily have to. Okay. Basically, you're growing a bed of sunflowers or artichokes, okay. either one. Okay. Okay. So then, uh, you cut down the sunflowers. You cut the stalks into lengths that will conveniently fit in, into your trench. Yeah, I thought you, you know, I saw those at your. We, we have a variety. We've been growing a whole variety of them. They can get up to 15 feet tall, and uh, uh, you know, and oh, two inches, two or three inches in diameter. So, so uh, anyway, so you grow the, the sunflowers out. You cut the stalks into sections that will fit into the trench, and then you strip off all of the leaves and you cut off the the flower. And you put down uh, uh, 
the sunflower stalks in the very, very bottom of the trench. So horizontally? Horizontally. Just okay. lay them in there crossways in the, in the trench. Okay. And then uh, you come along and you put uh, the leaves over that. And then you put the sunflowers themselves over that. And then uh, the, the way this works the best, most efficiently, is you come in with a layer, uh, 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 a one or two, uh, two inch layer of wood chips that, that you fill in the top of the trench with wood chips. Okay. And so what'll happen in the wood chips is, and, and then if you want, you can inoculate the wood chips with garden oyster mushrooms. Uh, uh, and, and what'll happen is the mushrooms will then just proliferate the uh, wood chips. Where did they get the garden oyster mushrooms from? From uh, fungi perfecti. <laughs> it's, 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 fungi it's, perfecti. Right. Okay. It's, it's, it's uh, Paul Stemitz's company, and they sell all things fungal. Okay. Oh, I just love that. Is he local? Uh, well, he's in Washington State. Washington State. Okay. Yeah. But he's he's Mr. Fungi, so. Oh, that's funny. Okay. And and there are some great, uh, by the way, uh, uh, several great YouTube videos that he, you know, presents the, the impact of, of fungi on the planet. And this is what we're talking about is one of his important points. At any rate, now the the reason that this is important is that what's going to happen in the trench is it's going to compost the materials, you know, the the, the flowers and the and the uh, uh, leaves, and to a very, very minor degree, it will uh, uh, compost the outer layers of the stalks. But the stalks will really remain pretty much intact. Because, because they have a lot of lignin, right? Lignin and, and resins, both. Okay. And so what happens is the uh, layer of wood chips that you put in the top the fungi will absolutely fill all of the little uh, spaces in between the wood chips and completely fill, you know, be, begin to decompose the wood chips. And this will make a um, an airtight layer uh, uh, at, at, on the uh, at, on the top of the walkway that, that you put the material on the top of the trench. And what that does is it seals the composting. Uh, that's going on below seals it off from air. Now, what will happen is the composting will proceed uh, until it's used up all of the oxygen in the in the uh, uh, spaces in between the compost and all the oxygen that's generated by the decomposition of the cellulose. Because cellulose, uh, you know, is is a carbohydrate, and so uh, I think what is it? I think it's forty uh, percent of a carbohydrate is oxygen, and so as it's decomposed, it'll release that oxygen. And so the idea is it composts until all of that oxygen is pretty well used up, and then instead of being aerobic um, uh, composition by you know that's the reason you turn a compost pile is to make sure right. it stays aerobic. Well, what we're doing is we're uh, allowing the, the oxygen levels to get low enough 
that a whole other community of biology comes to fore, and they're called facultative anaerobes. And what that facultative? means... Facultative? Is it F-A-C-U-L-T-A-T-I-V-E, I believe. Facultative. Okay. And facultative uh, organisms can uh, uh, use either oxygen or they can switch over to another kind of metabolism uh, that doesn't require oxygen. And they will continue the decomposition of the organic material. Uh, and instead of being um, uh, oxidizing the material the way compost works, what they're doing is the process, chemical process of reduction, which uh, means instead of... Uh, um, well, when, when this occurs, what happens is during the process of the composting, you have tra uh, transformed all of the uh, cellulose and all that stuff into humus. That, that, you know, that's what composting does, is it takes biomass and turns it into humus. Right. Well, it turns out that in the presence of, of these facultative anaerobes, they continue the process and they convert that humus into peat, you know, like a peat bog. Yeah. Except that, that in a peat bog, uh, since peat bogs are uh, underwater, basically, uh, well, it, there's, it turns out there's a bunch of different kind of bogs, and one kind of bog uh, is um, are bogs that occur in, in hummocks or high places. And so the... the the sphagnum and all the critters that grow in that are used to a, a well-drained soil as opposed to a saturated soil. Now, when they when these critters, these facultative anaerobes, take over, what they start doing is they, they take the humus and all of the other um, remaining uh, biomass and they begin turning it into low-grade coal called lignite, L-I-G-N-I-T-E. I, I, yeah, I've heard of that before. Right, and so and and there are lignite. There's lignite deposits up in the uh, uh, mountains, uh, just in the Cascades, up just east of uh, of Medford and, and Ashland. They're pretty oh. widespread. And so what what those deposits are? Those were swamps that had enough drainage in them that instead of the uh, organic material in those swamps. Uh, turning into methane gas and just you know bubbling out, the the carbon in them compressed and became first peat, and then lignite, and the transition between peat and the mineral lignite occurs if you have a situation where there's no, um, uh, well in a well drained situation. In situations that are that don't have saturated conditions, but they're sealed off from the atmosphere by, um, you know, accumulating material and uh, bioma uh, biomass that's growing on it, and so forth. And so, what happens is the humus and other remnants from the from the compost then goes on and proceeds, and first uh, very quickly turns into peat. And if it's allowed to remain there without uh, getting any air in, in it, it will begin to turn into lignite. And so when we go and dig up our trenches, uh, 
and you go down, you keep expecting to find uh, compost down there, and you don't. What you find is a very, very thin layer of coal black material. It's kind of a bluish black material. And if you expose it to air, it turns into kind of a reddish brown material within a matter of hours. How and long after you've planted your um, sunflower stalks and mm -hmm. the other stuff does that mm -hmm. occur? What does that process, you know, what, how long does the process do that take? About six months. About six months. Wow, you would exactly. think that it would take a lot longer than that. Exactly. You think that coal is this geological process that needs pressure and heat, and it does in order to get, you know, real coal, bituminous coal or anthracite or something. It does. It requires burial. But lignite can form with very little pressure and at surface, uh, you know, temperatures. Uh, and the whole process, the, the formation of coal, coal formation is not a geological process. It's a biological process the whole way through. And if you go down and, and dig into coal deposits, uh, there are uh, biologists that have done this. You find that it's, it's full of biology, even when it's buried very deeply. There's still a lot of biology going in there. And what, what that biology is living on is taking any remaining nutrients that are in the, the uh, humic material. And it's utilizing all of those nutrients for its own biology. And it leaves behind the carbon. And so what you're doing is, is these microbes, uh, uh, and, and they're, they're largely fungi. And what they're doing is they're pulling out the oxygen and all the nutrients, and they leave behind the carbon. And the carbon then will just simply accumulate and at a kind of a microscopic or even sub-microscopic level, what is leaving being left behind would sort of remind you of very, very, very fine ash, except that in an ash, because it's been hot, all of the moisture has been removed. And instead, these are all still have, a, you know, plenty of moisture in them. So it would be equivalent you know, kind of, you know, in your mind, to a wet ash. And so as this ash accumulates, it begins to coalesce in larger and larger aggregates. And you can see this happening in, in, in the trench if you dig it up. It starts out as just this, you know, just, just kind of like a powder, if you will, a moist powder of this jet black material and then as time goes on, the, that material begins to coalesce together and, find, and, and form ever larger little aggregates of this lignite. And if you do that for, you know, a long, long time, you end up with a, a, a seam of lignite coal. And there are places on, uh, what is it, Highway 60 that heads out, out east of... of uh, Ashens, I think it is. Anyway, heads over to Lake City. There are places along there that you can see in the road cut this sort of dark brown, uh, reddish material, fine grained, and that's lignite. The the you know there's a place called Shale City out uh, east of uh, Ashland. Yeah. Well, that shale 
was is actually lignite, and they were going to build a, a little power plant there that burned the lignite to produce electricity. And it turned out there's, there wasn't enough mo- there wasn't enough energy in it, and there was too much moisture in it, so it, it didn't pan out. But it was, it's still coal. And so wow. what happens is is the the volume reduction if you take and squeeze out just the carbon out of all the biomass the change in volume between uh a, you know a, a a volume of biomass and a volume of the lignite that it eventually turns into after six months or a year it it reduces its volume by a hundredfold wow. and so yeah and so what you end up with is if you put uh you know, a layer uh, two feet thick of compostable material and you let it completely go through this process, you'll end up with about a quarter of an inch of black material at the bottom of the trench. So with a two-foot deep uh, walkway or trench, you can do this every year for 96 years before you'd ever fill up the trench. So you're saying, okay, this is completely different than what I thought you were going to be telling me. I am fascinated by this. So so we've got these raised beds in our backyard mm-hmm. that we're dedicating to growing sunflowers or, as you said, artichokes. Yeah, either one. Mm-hmm. Um, either one, and because they both have this lignin and cellulose and the resin. Right. And we... Um, we we, so we fill that, you know, so it could be two feet deep by um, how, how wide and how Well, uh, in, hours, in hours we make them 18 inches wide because that's, that's right. convenient width to, you know, to harvest what we're doing. Right, and you can make them as, uh, as long as, as, you're, as, as you want it, your bed to be, exactly. correct? And, and, so, and you, can make, you can make the trenches as wide as you want to, you know. Okay. So, and, but... And then, and then, so... <laughs> and then you, so you just leave it there, and then the next year you keep you do the same process over again. Exactly. So as soon as the sunflowers, okay, so uh, you cut the sunflowers down, uh, you put them to the side, you're cutting them up and and cutting the heads off and all that stuff, and then you're going in and digging out your trench, and you just take the soil that you dug out of your trench and you put it on the beds where the sunflowers were growing. Right. Right, so you don't haul it off or anything. You just right. move it out of the way. And now you have a trench. And now you put the material in, and um, it will actually, well, it, it'll decompose and compost and everything if you don't put the wood chips on. But in that process, you know, composting puts a lot of CO2 in the atmosphere. Uh-huh, yes. And so, and so what you're doing is you're stopping that from happening, and you're keeping that CO2 uh, underground, and that CO2 is critical for the transition from the aerobic composting organisms to the facultative anaerobic uh, coal forming. The, the technical word for the transition of uh, biomass into coal is called gelification, G-E-L-I-F-I-C-A-T-I-O-N. Gelification, like gelification, like making a gel. Process of converting biomass into coal. Coal. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. 
And so the critters that pull that off uh, are, they don't like oxygen. They like carbon dioxide. That's what they breathe. And so they uh, take the carbon dioxide that's been generated and the, and the biomass, and they take all of the carbon out of the carbon dioxide and out of the biomass, and they, they turn it into this uh, soft brown coal, lignite. That is just fascinating. So really, our victory gardens are what we're doing is we're making coal. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. And so, it, 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 and is that it? Okay. So once you got the sunflowers, you know, cut and put in the trench and your uh, wood chips put over the top, and, and once you've inoculated a soil with, say, garden oyster mushrooms, you only have to do it once because it'll be full of spores from then on. So then all you do is just put down the wood chips and they'll fill with the mycelium and off it goes. But the first time you may need to, to inoculate it. Okay. Now in our trenches, we didn't inoculate it and we have, we have mushrooms coming up all over the place here. And most places in Oregon do. And so we didn't have to inoculate it. The mushrooms just showed up on their own. But if, if that wasn't the case, then it doesn't hurt to grow our garden, uh, oyster, garden oyster mushrooms because they're delicious. Okay, so that's why you, you add the garden oyster um Exactly. Because you have to have, fungi are absolutely critical in this process. Yes, I've learned that, yes. All right, absolutely critical. Fungi are what do carbon sequestration. They do all the heavy lifting. Bacteria are, uh, you know, they put CO2 into the atmosphere, but fungi put it into the soil. So, and you're saying that you only need to do that once, and yeah. then the and then, and, yeah, and then the spores are there, and you know. Okay, and then the process repeat. Then you repeat the process with the well. Um, okay, stuff. okay. So as soon as as soon as you got the trench in and the wood chips down and and uh, so, uh, and, and so forth, then you would plant your cover crops. Okay, so uh, the. Um, uh, sunflowers are going to be uh, ripe in what? Early August or in August sometime. Right. And so, uh, what you do is you plant the bed absolutely solid in um, buckwheat. So after the sunflower, after you cut the, the sunflowers. sunflowers down, then mm -hmm. um, you you plant um, you plant the um, the buckwheat. Buckwheat. Okay. And then you let the buckwheat come up and until it starts to flower, uh, about six weeks, and then you cut it down and you put it straight into the trench. And then if you have uh, um, wood chips, just cover them over with wood chips. So if you had wood chips on it, would you move those wood chips aside? No, 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 no. Okay. You never want to break that layer. Never want to break the layer. Okay, Absolutely. So you just add, the, add the, um, the cut buckwheat right. to the trench, and then exactly. and, and and then um, uh, and then add your wood chips over that. Exactly, and then you plant your winter cover crop, which is going to be uh, fava beans. Would be, you know, uh, the, the the optimum crop. You could do fava beans, or you could do Austrian winter pea. But fava beans produce a lot more biomass than winter pea does. Okay. 
Okay, so if you're producing biomass, you're pulling CO2 out of the atmosphere and you're turning it into biomass. And as long as that biomass turns into soil or coal in this case, then you're, that is what's sequestering the carbon. The plants actually do the sequestration. Your job is to make sure that once that carbon is in that plant, that all of it goes underground. Okay. Okay, so you're growing your uh, fava beans all winter long, and then in the spring, they start to flower. Okay. A and then uh, when, uh, uh, just as they begin to flower, then you're gonna cut the fava beans down. Hold on just a second, I'm gonna plug my phone into power. Okay. Okay. Um, so you cut the uh, fava beans down, and uh, you uh, put them in the trench and cover them with uh, with uh, wood chips and begin and uh, uh, plant them in sunflowers. <laughs> I just freaking love this. Yeah, and that's what you do. You plant oh sunflowers. God. You cut them down. You put them in the soil. You plant uh, um, buckwheat, you cut it down, you put it in the soil, you plant fava beans, you cut them down, you put it in the soil, you plant sunflowers, and you just do that over and over and over again. So you just really dedicate, um, you know, part of your garden to this, pro this you know, um, uh, process. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, and so over the, over the course of time, Exactly. And so over the, over the course of time, you know, a decade or something maybe, you will sequester, oh, you know, well over a ton of carbon into the soil. You'll sequester over a ton of carbon into the soil if you keep doing this in right. 10 years. Well, I, you, know, I, I, you know, I mean, if, if you're uh, sequestering at a rate of, say, two or 300 tons per acre and you have you know, a thousandth of an acre, you know, then in 10 years, you'd, you'd you know, be getting uh, over a ton into the ground. And as long as, that, as long as that ground is never turned or disturbed, uh, now another important part